Hi, everybody. Welcome to Film House. It's me, Elise. I'm hosting this week and doing something a little bit different. I'm sitting down one-on-one -on -one with a bunch of the cast here at Funhouse and having everyone recommend either a movie or a TV show that they've watched over the last couple months that they would recommend to you, our listeners and viewers. So I hope that you enjoy and maybe get something new to add to your list. So Dan, uh, You've been watching reruns of Perry Mason, that you know that old classic <laughs> black and white series about the courtroom yeah. guy from the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. defense attorney Perry Mason. <laughs> no, I, I've been watching the HBO remake from Team Downey uh, on HBO Max. It's actually the only thing I've watched that's new at all, um, and it's just excellent. And I'm actually kind of surprised you haven't seen any of it because it's a big mystery. And I know you're a, kind of a mystery nut. I have so to say. I, th I think it's like right up your alley. I think it is. The The early reviews were pretty mixed. You know, when they sent out, I feel like those two first episodes or however many for people to, to check out, I was seeing sure. a mixed response. So, But well, now, it, it, um, it seems like it's, also, it's extremely dark. Like, it is really grim at the start uh, to the point where uh, my wife and I almost stopped watching it after the first episode because it was so dark. Yeah, because my understanding um, is that he has some kind of PTSD from the war, yeah. the First World War. Yeah, you know, it's not super, like, shell-shocky, mm -hmm. I don't think. It maybe just explains why he's kind of a fucked-up loser at the beginning. Do you want to give um, everyone a bit of background on what the show's about? Because for me, my background with Perry Mason is when I was a kid and my dad would watch it. And <laughs> it's like a black-and-white court. It almost feels like a really old procedural... But now it's it's kind of shiny, sexy, gritty new Perry Mason, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, it's it's definitely like in the vein of like dark and gritty reboots. Something I'm you know a little sick of, honestly. Reboots and let's make it dark and gritty. Um, but this kind of hit me in a few different ways that I really dug it. I don't have a lot of background. I think I was aware that Perry Mason was like a black and white uh, courtroom show, maybe, um, and that's about all I knew. Um, I just remember seeing a preview, some other HBO show I was watching, you know how they do those self-promotion ads mm -hmm. in the middle of it, and I saw Matthew Reese and then the title Perry Mason. I was like, I like Matthew Reese a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, if you're not familiar, he's, what is he, he's did The Americans, um, he was at the Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. He was in the post. He's been a bunch of Spielberg stuff, but Which um, I actually felt like he was the worst part of Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if he's like a movie star leading man. I think he's like a good TV show leading man. Um, but I'm honestly, I'm down. I think since the Americans um, and a really old caper movie called Fakers. Um, since those two things, I'm pretty much down to see what he does. Um, and, you know, HBO, I think, has a a pedigree that generally I'll check out almost anything they make that kind of hits the genres that I'm interested in. Um, you know, full disclosure, they, you know, we're part of the same company now, but I've loved their work since well before um, we are all part yeah. of the same group. It's but like, yeah, so I don't, I, I guess I don't have a huge background, except I really do. I like noir stuff. I like kind of uh, early mid-century Los Angeles period piece stuff and, and detectives. You know, I, I like more here and there. Um, L.A. Confidential is one of my favorite movies. Is this Does this have um, that kind of L.A. Confidential Chinatown sort of vibe to it? It, it does. It does. It, it's actually made me want to go and watch both of those movies. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's you do get all of that that you if if you're kind of coming for that time period genre stuff, you get all of those costumes. You get you know the period looking LA. I don't know how they do it anymore. I guess with the computers and you know clunky old cars and, and you know people in suits and and dames and dresses and <laughs> bring um, out the dames. <laughs> you get Good you show. get all of those trappings essentially. Um, they actually they the one thing you know. It it does try and do the tropey stuff that Noir does, but it it also I think does a good job of updating some of that stuff so that like you know the femme fatale is not just some horrid damsel bitch. in distress, right? Like she she doesn't just ruin a man. There's actually a couple of them, um, and there there's um they just they do a good job of updating those things. You know there there uh, there's black character that's not just a stereotypical you know black guy from the period that's being you know prejudiced and uh, there's gay characters that aren't just the stereotypical gay character that gets like thrown in jail or beat up or something. I think they do a good job of making kind of well-rounded characters and not just kind of the one note. Hey, we need this in this genre kind of thing. And I bet and, um, a lot of that comes with the supporting cast too, which there are, there are two reasons I've also been interested in this show from the get go. And one of them is Tatiana Maslany, who yeah. is is a treasure. And I think she's excellent. And then, of course, fantastic. My, my man, John Lithgow. <laughs> John Lithgow. Loves well, I, I think Lithgow. That, the, the acting in the show is probably the very best thing it's got going for it. And specifically, like the character actors that they bring in, like John Lithgow is amazing. And maybe he starts out what you might think is like one note, but he's way more complex than the kind of larger than life lawyer that he starts out playing. He's kind of um, Matthew Reese mentor, oh. uh, Perry Mason's mentor. Um, and he starts out, you know, this kind of larger than life, um, almost fit foghorn leghorny, like Southern lawyer, even though he's not Southern. But it's it's like way deeper than that, um, which I really like. And um, Tatiana's really good. Um, I think the breakout female star is this lady named Juliet Rylance. I don't know any. She was in The Nick, which I haven't seen. I think I saw Francis maybe a couple episodes of The Nick. Um, but she is uh, John Lithgow's assistant, secretary, um, kind of an evolving character. But she, I think, is a standout with Matthew Reese as far as the actors. Um, but along with uh, Lithgow, what was it? Stephen Root, I think, is one of my very favorite character actors. He He's in everything and I think knocks it out of the park and plays different characters that are fully developed in like everything he's in. What else um, is he in? And, uh, Barry. Uh, Office Space, Who's King he of the Hill. Barry? He's, he's like his the shitty controller oh. maker guy that kind of turns oh. on him. Yeah, Stephen Root. Okay, yes, he, yes. He's, he, you're right. You know, he is in everything. He's that guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's that guy in a lot of stuff, and I think he's just spectacular. He almost stole the entirety of Buster Scruggs. Um, but uh, there's also another that guy, Shay Wiggum, that I've seen pop up in a lot of stuff. You, you, when you look him up, you'll recognize his face. I don't know that I could, off the top of my head, say what he's in, but he's been in a uh, yeah. A I mean, Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire. Is this is probably an instance of like keeping it in the HBO family? There, there's sure. a lot of those people. Oh yeah, Take Shelter, around. Death Note. I think he's the dad in Death Note, American Hustle. Yeah, yeah. He, Everyone said such bad stuff about that Death Note. I never watched it. Oh, I, I watched it just for posterity reasons. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting because like I, my first experience with this actor uh, was definitely Boardwalk Empire. But since then, I guess that was kind of like the tipping point of his career that I see him in everything now. But I, I think I think that's one of the thing that 
one of the things that took this show from being like an okay show to really great was just across the board excellent acting, including a guy who kind of he pops up in a lot of the episodes, but he's not even maybe a B character, but just kind of nails every scene he's in. And um, something that Matthew Reese seems to have chemistry with all of these characters, something I think that's hard to come by. You know, they're actors, so they're supposed to be good and be able to act with anybody. But Reese seems to have this, you know, best buddy chemistry with everybody or, you know, will they or won't they chemistry with with every female. It's Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's a special little thing he's got because, you know, I don't think he's like the most beautiful man in the world or anything like that. But I don't know. He, well, and, he, and like you're saying, he has a huge range, I yeah. guess, and, and, like and is able to knit. He's not a movie star, but he probably is really, really great in, in ensembles because he's supporting and and having a great rapport with everyone around him, too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think he, you know, he can do a, a huge range. The the Perry Mason character. I guess the only thing I know about this is that it's supposed to kind of be um, a prequel to what we know or people know as Perry Mason. So Perry Mason's a uh, defense attorney in the show mm-hmm. and uh, is not when this show starts or this miniseries starts. So you kind of you, you get to see him grow as a character, which I think a lot of you know series needs to keep their main character in one place so that you know what you're going to get week in and week out. And this show definitely lets him grow and isn't afraid to make him shitty sometimes. You know, he's like alcoholic and angry and abusive at times. But then, you know, he switches to, you know, gee, all shucks, poor me. I'm, you know, out for truth and justice kind of in the next scene. I'm the good guy. I'm the ethical guy. Uh, Who do you think this show is sort of made for? Or who do you think would would probably get the most out of watching it? Like someone, what what would the interests be? Like, I know you you raised mystery, of course. Yeah, I I think mystery, you know, if, if those two movies here, you know, I know more is kind of an old, old person's thing but you know if you're into chinatown or or la noir or or the game was la noir um, yeah la confidential um detective stuff courtroom you know it, it it is part courtroom drama and part noir mystery detective story and um i think that's the part that you would like a lot is the the mystery is intriguing you know it, it's kind of hard to talk about a mystery without giving much away um but I guess it result revolves around a murder of an innocent person, right? So like almost the whole show, they're trying to figure out, you know, who, what, where, when, why. And there's a lot of twists, but it also like gives you enough clues here and there to kind of like play along and guess with them. It's never like one of those, you know, I love Sherlock Holmes, but sometimes he'll see like, you know, a toothpick and, you know, put together some yeah. clue that no yeah, no, no one possibly he, he could because you don't backstory. have any of this evidence. Yeah, he's like, I saw the papers in the kitchen that this man works at the toothpick factory. And of course, this one toothpick fell in his pocket <laughs> and he took it home with him. And, you know, he, it impaled him as he fell because he tripped over the cat. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, know I, mean, I mean, I, I, I think it, it is a story, so there is a little bit of that. But I think it gives you enough to kind of play along and try and, and it's not a whodunit, but there's a little bit of that up to a point until you learn who's doing what. Um, but I, I think it does a good balance of that. And, you know, I'm not a huge courtroom drama fan, but the, the, there's a good bit of that kind of towards the later part of the show. And it had me hooked. Like I was worried that I was going to, man, now, now they're just going to be in court for the rest of the time. And it was not boring at all. Has the first um, season wrapped yet? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it, done. It's all, uh, it's all, think, is God, it all out? Pardon? Yeah, it's all out. Um, okay. I think there's it's only eight or nine episodes, so that was another thing I really liked. It's not 
don't have to watch 20 episodes of something. Yeah. I just don't have time for that. Um, it did get renewed for a second season, I believe. Um, so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, so I really like the dialogue. I think it's really well written. The plot is really fun. The mystery is exciting. And it doesn't like... I, th- I feel like there were parts that I almost didn't follow. Like it doesn't treat you like an idiot, which I think a lot of mysteries can hold your hand too much and maybe over explain and show too many flashbacks to make it very clear what happened. And there are a few flashbacks, but there's parts where it, the dialogue goes so quick. You don't maybe quite understand that they told you what happened until someone's bringing it up later. So I don't know. I, 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 I don't think it's like the most mind blowing, you know, you're not going to like drop your jaw to the floor when you find out what happened in the mystery, but it's got enough twists and turns and keeps secrets long enough that it's, you know, it takes you through the, the season keeps and it, it wraps up well enough too. like, it doesn't, it's not a lost or anything where it's like, Hey, we need to make yeah. 20 seasons from this one <laughs> mystery. Um, there's a couple of dangling threads, um, but they're pretty inconsequential. Um, so I don't know. I, I appreciate that it, it is a nice tight little thing. And then, you know, at the very end, I guess maybe they didn't know if it was going to be picked up for a second season. So it kind of like takes the last 10 minutes to show you what, uh, another season would start like or something. Oh, like I love that. So, yeah. So it's like, um, oh, I love it. I mean, you've basically it, it, sold me on it. I have about 20 more episodes of Band of Brothers, but then I'm in. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching, uh, Perry Mason. No, I genuinely, I genuinely like Are you going having- through band? Getting your review on it uh, because I was a little bit on the fence about it is definitely a, a you know, a good stamp of approval in my book. Um, I, I think mystery, you know, if you like that detective stuff, you know, from the 30s or 40s, I, I'd say it also, um, I don't know if I was thinking of themes too much, but, it, you know, if you if you start thinking about, you know, there's there's corruption involved, there's, you know, distrust of you know, governments and groups and police. Um, there, there's a lot of parallels for maybe modern society, even though it's set in the Great Great Depression. Um, there's just a lot of similar things going on right now. Um, you know, it, it's it's a cop show, but it they're not super cops. There's a lot of terrible people doing terrible things. Um, I, w- I will say it's not like my th- image of Perry Mason was as this like bright show. I don't know if I've ever actually seen one of the older ones, but this kind of you know. You know, this clever defense attorney gets people to admit to things. This the show is exceedingly dark. Like it it is dark. Yeah, um, I don't just, just a heads up. I've never also read the books, so I don't really oh, yeah, know how on. how that translates either. Um but yeah, I remember Perry Mason just thinking like, oh, this is just kind of a you know, it feels like a to kill a mockingbird kind of procedural where yeah. like a good good guy comes in and he sort of wraps up the case and solves. That was my like interpretation of it. And, and that is part of the show. You cut you maybe you see Perry Mason start to become that guy from kind of a down on his luck asshole private eye, you know, working for this lawyer and is gonna become that kind of shining beacon of justice guy. Um but yeah, i think I think you know, with the way the world is right now, it may be hard to visit this dark world. Just know what you're getting into is not going to be a happy-go-lucky experience. That's a. Um, I think that's the perfect and final endorsement. <laughs> 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 well, thanks a lot, Dan. 
Yeah, of course. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for having me, Elise. Like, I'm I'm excited to watch this and see what other people have to say. Me too. I also am curious <laughs> to see what other people recommend in the comments. Because and yeah, it's been really fun walking through everyone's recommendations. Great. Cool. Um, I'm gonna go watch Tampopo now. Yes, Tampopo is <laughs> so good. So I'm talking with Alana about a series that is maybe. I don't know. I don't know how closely you feel to New Zealand film industry. <laughs> like, I don't know if, if this is like a source of pride too, or you're like, no. Yeah, that's it's enough. Like, we're close enough that it can, I can count it as a source of pride. I think I have a lot of family in New Zealand. It counts. It counts. And it's what we do in the shadows. Correct by Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. Um, you know, people might know Jermaine. From uh, Flight of the Concords is probably the most popular thing. Taika Waititi obviously directed for Ragnarok. You're probably familiar movie. with him at this point. Exactly. <laughs> um, so What We Do in the Shadows is based on the movie that came out. Uh, it's For anyone who hasn't seen the movie, you should absolutely watch that. I assume you've seen that, Elise? Yes. It's like so a good. huge fan of the movie. Uh, yeah. It's just so nuanced like in terms of its comedy. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because it's also a little bit of a horror. Like, it's a mockumentary about a bunch of vampires um, that, I mean, it also features werewolves. And I wasn't sure if I'd like the TV show because it's set in America, whereas uh, the film is set in New Zealand and features New Zealanders. Like, the werewolves being New Zealanders is, like, just yeah, very funny great. to me. I don't know. I love, like, that. Their accent so silly. Werewolves, Yeah. And I think that's probably the only complaint, actually, really, that I have about... The TV series is that the, the werewolves being American is really weird. Um, but yeah, basically, it's just like an extension of of the film. And that, again, it's a comedy horror mockumentary that follows uh, a bunch of vampires who live in Staten Island who are supposed to take over Staten Island. That was like the task assigned to them by the Vampire Council. But they're all like a bit dumb, um, except I guess probably Nadja who is the female lead of the show. Uh, they're like centuries old and it's just, yeah, a comedy about them interacting with the real world. Um, and look, a big part of why I love this show so much is that I just love Matt Berry. Same. <laughs> He's so good. Same. I, uh, I, uh, I think like of my top three shows that I've watched the rewatched the most, it's definitely like the office, the Simpsons and it crowd. And mm. I also like, I just, it crowd for me. I also just kind of like, connect with my my home because i you know watched it in like 2009 before i moved to mm-hmm. america and my mom and i she loves it too so we would watch it together all the time and she loves matt barry because of it um yeah and he's like extra ridiculous in that show like i think is the first scene he's introduced the one that's the funeral is yes where first his, scene his in that show? father dies and he shows up and he's like father <sighs> but he's father. just like anything he does like toast of london Love Snuff it. Snuffbox. I'm always there for Matt Berry. Yep. I rewatched all of Toast of London because uh, season two of What We Do in the Shadows came out. It was April 15th that it came out. I believe I watched it on Hulu, um, even though it was an FX show. And I think Disney has distribution rights. But uh, I, I, yeah, I watched it on Hulu. And then because it was like coming out weekly, I was like, I just want more Matt Berry. So I rewatched Toast of London. Um, anyone who doesn't know who Matt Berry is, he's just like this very specific brand of comedy where he's very absurd and very pompous about it 
Yes, and he has is, a is very specific effect when he's like he speaks yeah. in ways where he pronounces words and and vowels and co- like in a way that no Incorrectly. one speaks. He says yeah, charisma, and I always just yeah. loved that. It's so he's, strange. He's so like one good. of my favorite recurring things of the show, and I don't even know why I love it, is when Matt Berry specifically transforms into a bat. Uh, he yells "bat" every time. He just goes yeah. "bat," but again yeah. in this like very fancy voice. There's this one episode where he leaves, uh, I think it's to fight a troll, is why he he leaves everyone from the house in Staten Island for a bit, and he becomes this guy, guy called Jackie Daytona, and yep. gets very into supporting a women's volleyball team. Yes. Uh, all completely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it just like completely sidetracks any narrative of him <laughs> being a vampire, and for some reason he's like immersed in this, what is it, like high school, or I forget. I think so. Like high, think school it's high school volleyball. Team. It's so weird. Yeah. And then he uh, runs a bar and they all love him until one day someone realizes he has no reflection in one of the mirrors in the bar. Like, it's yeah. just, it's so absurd. Uh, but all of the characters are. So, like, he plays Laszlo, who's, like, an English nobleman vampire. Um, my actual favorite character is played by K-Man Novak, who I think is a fantastic actor as well for very different reasons. Um, I think he started on a UK series called Phone Jacker where basically he would just prank call people uh, oh. and just a, just a massive variety of completely improvised characters. And a lot of the show is improvised. Uh, so yeah, K-Van Novak kills it. Um, he is Nandor the Relentless, who's in theory the leader of the group, but he's also just so cute. Yeah, he needs help getting out of his his coffin in the yeah. morning from Guillermo, They're his familiar. Yeah. His relationship yeah. with Guillermo is fantastic too. Yeah, like if if Gamo's sad, he'd be like Gamo. Yeah, like just like all of these things that like play in my head. Just after watching every episode of the show, is like these really distinct, very very silly uh, characters. And I think I just think Nando's so cute, and his relationship with with Gamo is adorable. Um, and he's like, yeah, he was supposed to be this like bloodthirsty leader of a of a kingdom who was just like pillaging villages, but yeah, in the show like is, a- ends up just being lovely. Yeah, like a, a uh, what's his name? The like a Vlad the Impaler type, I guess. Yeah, he was supposed to yeah. be like. But yeah, he's just this like little meat so guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, I love. I we just like watched the the finale episode recently of this season, and it's you know where they. I don't want to spoil anything, but they're the vampires are kind of left to their own devices, and to they're already really infantile. Uh, and rely yeah. a lot on their fami- familiar Guillermo. But in this case, like, they can't even get their own laundry, so they're all wearing, like, sweatpants. Like, and, <laughs> and it's just so good. I, I was so worried coming from the film Same. that it would feel like a retread in a lot of ways. But yeah. I actually think that this the show has really found its own footing and actually become Super a lot distinct. deeper yeah, than the yeah. movie. It's really distinct while also you know, being familiar enough in that delivery, I think is what works for it. Um, and I also wanted to give a shout out to, she's really everyone. It's like Nadja is also great, but uh, Colin Robinson. Oh yeah. Who is what's known as an energy vampire, whose whole thing is about boring people so much that he gets energy from them. And there's this one episode where he meets another vampire who he kind of has a relationship with. And I think she's an empathy vampire. So she gets off on making people sad there's just all this like really silly creative stuff that you constantly watch play out between these very, very, very different characters. Uh, I feel like Naja, who is, yeah, like I said, the female lead, she's, uh, I guess like, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly where she would be from. Um, but she's probably the most grounded 
I love her. Oh, the smartest. Yeah, she's and fantastic. Great performance. I love her little haunted doll that looks like her. Yeah. <laughs> it so is her, I think. Yeah, I guess so. It's like I guess a it's different like, version of her. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, makes sense. And then, yeah, Guillermo being the, the familiar who wants to turn into a vampire. But uh, as the series goes on, it, it is revealed that, uh, without spoiling anything, that he has a, a lineage that would make that very complicated. So it's just like a lot of really fun through lines, a lot of really good recurring actors, um, cameos that are really fun, but it's also really heartfelt, uh, definitely really well shot, um, amazing uh, costume design, set design. It's all very interesting to look at, but just just so much fun because of these performances and these really distinct characters. I've enjoyed it and rewatched it. Uh, had a, a super fun time waiting every week during quarantine this year for the show to come out. It was like a highlight. It was like, it's Wednesday night. There's more what we do in the shadows, which is, yeah, just super fun. I, I, I couldn't imagine anyone not liking this show. It's so good. Same, same. And I also just, uh, like, for me personally, I really appreciate that it, it does, in a sense, feel like a little bit of a story of a week sh- show. But then mm-hmm. in season two, they kind of said, no, like, let's actually sort of do an, an, an arc with this and develop Guillermo as a character, which I really, really liked because it could just be, here's the wacky thing that the vampires are doing every week. And I would be yeah. totally down, down with that. Yeah. Yeah. But they have a through line that develops with a bunch of outside characters as well. And yeah, things that happen in earlier episodes that recur in later episodes and yeah, again, just like a lot of actors that show up doing weird shit, um, What's his name? There's like tons of cameos. It's like Tilda Swinton. Dave Bautista. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Tyke is in it. Mark Hamill oh, yeah. is in it. Um, there's Benedict Wong. Uh, yeah, it's it's just like even even the, the cameos of the guests feel like people who just like very much appreciate what the show is doing. And I feel like it really comes through. It's, uh, it's really special. And it feels like a spoof comedy, which uh, is a genre that you don't really... I, I just don't see too much of on TV right now yeah. being done. Yeah, yeah they, they definitely nailed the tone without it being cheesy, um, which is totally what I was worried about after the movie. I was like, I don't know if you take this out of New Zealand, how I'm going to feel about it because it's such a specific brand of comedy. But yeah, it's it's awesome. I literally don't have any complaints. Like if I were to try to think of something I don't like about it, I'd be like, no, nah, every single episode I just found so pleasant and it, it may got renewed for a third season too. So there's oh, more nice. coming, which is very exciting. I think that is a a solid recommendation, and I wholeheartedly agree. There you go. Watch it, everyone. Watch it. (laughs) Do yourself a favor. (laughs) Next up, I'm talking with James. James, we mostly watch the same content together. How come we didn't do this over uh, video chat? Would you prefer that? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We mostly watch the same stuff, Mm -hmm. but then occasionally I have a show or a movie that I check out solo and and same for you. And I say, no, thank you. You say that's trash. That's garbage. I just go, why would you waste your time with this? But to each their own. I always follow. (laughs) But to each their own after saying something really condescending and mean. And I also um, fall asleep Mm -hmm. pretty early and then you end up watching I call it nightlife. Nightlife without Night, me. Nightlife. And it's not the name of a show. It's what I call anything that I watch after you've fallen <laughs> asleep. And then I can put on whatever I want. I, I don't I don't know how most of those things sound because I watch them on basically mute with subtitles. Mm-hmm. But uh, but those that's my nightlife. What is your nightlife recommendation? Well, I was going to say, yeah, you're picking favorite stuff. Actually, one of the best things that I've seen 
maybe this whole year, my favorite things that I've enjoyed and definitely since uh, work from home and being home more often is Doro Hidoro, the anime. An anime. And what is a lot of animes can sort of spiral out and get complicated. And I feel like when you've described this to me before, it felt a little bit heady. What is the basic premise of it? If you can distill it. Yes. So the basic premise is there are two worlds, the whole and the sorcerer's world. Okay. Parallel dimensions. All right. And the sorcerers treat the people in the hole like garbage. But there's uh, basically one guy in the hole who hates sorcerers and he's exacting his revenge. Is the the bare bones premise. Um, So he's our hero? Yeah. Yes. But the best thing about this show is that it makes you like everyone. So you get to meet all kinds of characters from all over both sides of everything. And then you basically get to like all of them. Oh, so you're getting characters from the bad perspective. Yeah. yeah, You get, you get everything. The main focus, like the, the marketing character is this character, Mm -hmm. Kaiman, who is this like seven foot tall, very broad, very big guy Mm -hmm. who happens to have a lizard head. Okay. He happens to have a lizard head. And he got a lizard head because a uh, sorcerer cursed him with the lizard head, but also cursed him with amnesia. So he doesn't know why he has a lizard head. He hates that he has a lizard head. He's trying to get rid of the lizard head? And he's trying to find the sorcerer who cursed him to undo the curse. Okay, so that is that a big plot point of the show? That's like if you can say what the through line is. It's, it's just him his trying quest to recover to try his curse and 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 gotcha. get the curse undone. Now you mentioned earlier, and like it's basically the way it is, which a lot of anime starts with a small concept and then expands yeah. and spirals out. This one starts with the spiral, and then hones in on a smaller concept. So the first episode, I'm like, what is going on? I have no, and there's no tutorial. It's the equivalent of a video game that doesn't tell you how it's to crouch you and in an sprint. Open, open world. And it just says go, no tutorials. Um, and it's very weird. But by the end of uh, the first season, I understood completely everything. I understood all the rules of the world. It was just, it was great because it didn't treat me like a, uh, you know, a child. Mm-hmm. It was like, you'll, you'll figure it out. It's it was a complex and nuanced yeah, story. But it's very weird. Weird, weird house. It's like beyond the lizard headed sorcerer killer. Mm -hmm. So the way Kaiman figures out who, whether or not someone is the person who cursed him or not, he goes out and he hunts for sorcerers Uh who occasionally drop into the hole to screw with or steal from or experiment on the people that live there. But he'll fight back very violently and basically he'll grab one of them and then put his whole mouth over their head. And then that'll pull them inside his mouth into like a weird realm where there's another guy inside his mouth who will tell that to who will say, are you the he'll say you are not the one because the person inside Kaiman's mouth knows who did it. OK. And so you are not the one. And then he'll pull him out of their mouth. Wait, why does he have a person in his mouth? That's the kind of weird <laughs> stuff that's that's the kind of weird stuff that's in it. It's uh, part of the curse. Um, the person who's in his mouth also becomes a character later on, but not I mean, the one that's in his mouth. It's a different one. I do love that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that's what where anime excels is because it's animated. Mm-hmm. You can do kind of whatever you want with yeah. it. I, one of the animes we both love is Excel Saga, mm-hmm. which is pretty oh, weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you kind of get the perspective of both sides mm-hmm. of, of this conflict. Yeah. Are you empathetic toward? Absolutely. Because everyone's so it's such a fun. It's a fun series. It's it's like has a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. So you're introduced to Kaiman and he's in the hole and he's like, the, <laughs> yeah, like and he's in the hole. He's in the hole and he's like <laughs> kind of like got this thing out for sorcerers. He hates sorcerers mm-hmm. and everything. But then you're also introduced to N and the N family. Mm-hmm. The N family is the most powerful sorcerer family. And it's run by this guy named N who has crazy red hair that shoots up and his magic power. Because every sorcerer's magic power is different. They have okay. like one power mm-hmm. and for everyone it's different. And his is he can turn anyone or anything into mushrooms. <laughs> but why? To what end? I don't it, know. Does he think that that's a powerful power? It is have? a powerful power. Okay. He's like there. There You find out later on that there was a an apocalyptic event where an entire city turned into mushrooms because all the population, all the people and everything. And then, of course, you find out it's, it's because it's of something that happened him. with him. Um, so it is. It, it's like a superpower. It's like the X-Men, how it's like Iceman. It's just Iceman. But then you find out that Iceman is an Omega mutant because he can theoretically, if he wanted to, change the temperature of the entire Earth, killing everyone. Off. So he right. could turn the Earth into a mushroom. Theoretically, he could. So he's extremely powerful. And he's but, a good guy or a bad guy? I or? mean, he's basically like the godfather Okay. He's like the mob boss godfather, the leader of the biggest crime family in the sorcerer's realm. Mm-hmm. But he truly loves his family and the people in it. And basically everyone in his his crime family is just like a fuck up. Well, most some of them are complete screw ups. But in his eyes, they can do no wrong. Is that They can do wrong, oh, but okay. he still just he goes, it'll be OK. Don't worry. It'll be OK. So like the show opens with Kaiman slaughtering a sorcerer who is the best friend of this other guy who mm-hmm. happens to be one of the low-ranking members in End's and crime family. for the audience that's trying to keep up, Kaiman was the lizard head man. Kaiman is the okay. lizard head man. Um, and, so, and so this other guy, he gets a new partner who is this scrawny little girl who always wears a skull, skull mask. And it's just like, she's like out of it. She's like a ditzy, completely out of it or whatever. But N is just so encouraging of them, even though they're constantly screwing up. And he's just so encouraging. And then he has these two super elite guards that uh, he keeps with, which are Shin and who is it? I think it's Hoi Shin and uh, I don't remember her name Um, because I read everything. Uh, Shin and Noi. 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 Um, and so Shin, everyone has a backstory and it's all great. Um, Shin is this super cool dude in a suit who has a heart. Okay. Everyone wears masks. (laughs) Okay. Everyone wears masks. Yeah, of course. Not because of anything, but just because it's like pandemic. Cause there's pandemic. No, not really. It's an allegory for the pandemic. No. Okay. I don't think so. It's just cool. And I think the, right. the, the creator of the All manga right. is often known for wearing masks or liking masks. So mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of an extension of that. 
but it really adds flavor to all their characters. So you have this character, Shin, Mm -hmm. who's this intense blonde guy who wears a suit and uh, just, like, beats the hell out of people, right? He's a sorcerer, but he wears this heart mask. And so it looks like a heart. Mm -hmm. And then Noi is basically, like, imagine an Italian tough guy in, like, a track suit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tough guy and everything like that. But then uh, they take off the mask, and it's a beautiful woman. Oh, a little bit of a, a beautiful woman switch who there. is also like two hundred pounds of pure muscle mm-hmm. because she trained to be this like super gotcha. thick, tough, uh, uh, tough bodyguard. Mm-hmm. And they have this great relationship where they they really rely on each other. It's so hard to like talk about this show and discuss the plot well, because yeah, there's a because lot it going sounds on. like there's very specifics and it's very detailed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can talk about it broadly, but it helps to know all that nuance. A question for you: yep. You are a big, as, as far as I'm concerned, One Piece fan. You read mm-hmm. so many yeah. hundreds and hundreds of issues of yeah. One Piece. Uh, if he had to choose between Doro Hidoro and One Piece, well, that's 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 very tough because I, I'm here to ask. The I, tough, I ask the tough questions what, on this show. What makes One Piece so great was the fact that something that happened in issue number seventy five could back. come back in yeah. issue number eight hundred and seventy five, and then you're like, "Holy cow, that makes sense!" How could you even consider that plotting? Mm-hmm. That's what makes One Piece so great, um, and uh, this. I mean, I feel like this show is just it's like if David Lynch was more focused as an artist and liked anime, we would get something like this, where it's this intertwined world with an unclear protagonist, but very clear mission statements Mm -hmm. and the rules are very clear, even though that seems like there are no rules. Um I don't know. This is one piece was great as like just this huge, massive. I can't believe that someone has been able to balance all of this in their head. Uh, Doro Hidoro is great as like a piece of art. One more question for you. How do you pitch this show to somebody that is not a big anime fan? And this definitely doesn't feel like a gateway Mm -mm. anime. Mm -mm. Like, how do you kind of steal them? And encourage them to stick in with this and and try to immerse in it. The the main thing I would say is that the animation is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it is using the computer generated within a cell shading. Okay. Kind of like mm-hmm. style, so it's not hand drawn, but it's the first thing I've seen where I was like, oh my god, this works. Like they used it to add detail and the movement, like whatever they did to the frame rate makes it feel like it is still anime for the most part in every single shot. And then something will move and you'll be like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, so it, it just to look at, it is amazing. And I would say, you know, if you're not into anime, it's kind of a tough sell. I don't even know where to get you into anime. But if you like things that are beautiful, if you watched Blade Runner and you were like mm-hmm. looking at the backgrounds or the scenes or like anytime you can admire something like, really attractive in in terms of shot composition like this there's an art book for this anime that is worth every penny well thank you for telling me about it um maybe sometime when you fall asleep first i'll check it out yeah that'll happen <laughs> i would watch it again if if i sold you on it i would watch through the okay. whole series again because it's great so good. That's that's a glowing review. There's one episode where there's zombies because one night at the zombies show up. Don't spoil too much. Up. They have to go watch it now. 
zombies. We've all been there, stressed, full of anxiety about the hustle bustle of modern life. Some of us even experience chronic pain, have trouble sleeping. I know I do. This is a long-term problem for me, which is why I was so elated to discover Feels, which is a premium CBD delivered directly to your door. If you're not familiar with Feels, it helps to naturally reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. So for me, you know, I just place a few drops of feels under my tongue and then I can feel the difference within minutes when I'm falling asleep. It helps me fall asleep more quickly, uh, stay asleep. The important thing is to remember that CBD is different for everyone. So you have to experiment and find the right dose for you, which could take, you know, a week or two, but you'll get there. And if you need help, you can use the feels free CBD hotline to help guide your experience. You can join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You don't have to go out and get it, and you'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmhouse, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmhouse to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken from your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash filmhouse. Lindsay and I are here to talk about the movie of the summer. The King of Staten Island. The King of Staten Island. Is it the movie of the summer? I don't know that that's an accurate description, but you liked it, right? I liked it. I don't even know when it came out. Was it this summer? Was it last year? What year is it at all? Uh, no, I liked it. Uh, King, Staten, King Staten Island, pretty good. I'm a Pete Davidson stan, so I was into it. Um, it's on Amazon. They they brought the price down a little bit, so it was like, perfect time. It, it was $20 to rent. It was $20, and I was like, meh, meh. Um, but finally, they I saw it on there the other day, and we were like, yeah, let's check it out finally. Um, so yeah, it was pretty good. And I haven't seen it yet because every time I bring it up, James is like, oh, I'm not really not really feeling it. But I think there's probably a lot of great cameos in this movie from different yeah, comics. Yeah, it's got Steve Buscemi. So that's a great one. I'm always into the Buscemi. It's got that actor from American Vandal. Did you watch American Vandal? Yeah. The guy's like, ugh, like this. He's like, plays the teen, the main teenager guy, yeah. I think. Um, he's great. He's in it. Uh, it's got uh, Marissa Tomei, and I think that's her. I'm like, wait a second, right? <laughs> um, it was so it was kind of co-produced uh, by Pete Davidson and like one other guy and Judd Apatow, and then it was directed by Judd Apatow. And um, his daughter also has a cameo in it, and you know she plays Pete Davidson's sister oh, in really? the movie. It's so weird because we've yeah. seen Judd Apatow's daughters just like grow up in movies over the years. I- I, when I think of her, I think of her in Knocked Up yeah. and making like poopy jokes. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. And also she was like in, uh, what's that show? Euph- Euphoria. Oh, she was really? In Euphoria. Yeah, she was in Euphoria. Is she yeah. old enough to be in that? I know. She's <laughs> old enough to be Pete Davidson's sister going off into college and oh Judd Apatow's god. daughter. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. That makes me feel especially old, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, so it's sort of a autobiography of sorts right yeah i would say it's precisely semi-autobiographical uh because the movie is about uh pete davidson i think it's sort of like what his life would be like if he never found comedy and he tried to like picture that and because um in the in the movie pete davidson's dad's uh his character's dad was a fireman and he died in like a big fire 
And in real life, Pete Davidson's dad died in 9-11. Mm-hmm. He was a firefighter, a Staten Island um, firefighter, and he died. Um, so, it, yeah, his, his, his dad died, and then he's just sort of like this deadbeat bum. There's a couple moments where he's like, it's funny, but it's also like, he's just telling his mom, he's like, Mom, I'm a bum. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Don't try to change he's me, Mom. Bum. I'm a bum. Through and through. Yeah, that was sort of it. Um, but yeah, it, it was funny. It was like really bizarre moments, like some little tangential storylines, I would say, that you're like, well, what? Yeah, how is, does this relate to the plot at large sort of thing? Does it, yes. does it feel like comics flexing at times? It definitely felt like, uh, not like comic. It didn't, because it was, it was comical what was happening sometimes. Um, but there, it was sort of like, a well, what if we just wrote like a one-off bit? And like put it in the story, and then and Pete Davidson must have been like, "Yeah, that's cool, that's tight." Yeah, <laughs> like you know his SNL character where he goes, "Yeah, okay, yeah, okay." That, was, that must have been him. Okay, that's like the horror, um, the horror sketch, or it's like, yes. oh, this, oh yeah, it's the scream one, the scream parody, right? Where he's yeah. calling him, and he's All like, right. "I'm in your house." Okay. All right. Yeah, <laughs> that was him in the writers' room. Like, all right, yeah. Uh, but no, I thought it was pretty good. It had some funny moments, and it had, I would say, it had some like heart-touching moments, too. I know you came into it as a Pete Davidson fan, but did it in any way kind of solidify your opinion on, yeah, Pete Davidson could carry a movie, or, oh, he can only carry a movie it's, if it's him playing himself, or do you think there's more for him as a leading man? I would like to see more of him as a leading man. I do think he probably has some acting chops. Um, he was very Pete Davidson-like, but it was... Not the way that you see him on SNL. It wasn't like suddenly you're watching a whole film and it's just his his when he comes on Weekend Update and he makes those really crazy jokes because his character in the show is not a super funny guy. Like he's got some little bits and you could tell that he's got a sense of humor, but he's not like a joke man, a joke man. Yeah. You know, he's very much like an anxiety and depressed uh, man who's 24 who's just fun, trying to yeah he's like meandering through life trying to find yeah. his way and direct very directionless sounds I like say he's meandering he's just sort of sitting there is he is he's like complacent maybe yeah like he's, he's just, just accepted like, I'm, a, I'm a bum <laughs> i'm a bum mom <laughs> but i think that without spoiling too much because this is a story that's i think based on his real life um one of the kind of heart-touching moments and like a turning point for his character is really when he talks to some of the other firefighters about his dad like he he gets some stories so that was a moment where i was like oh and i i let one fall i I let one fall steve buscemi made me cry i'm like oh yeah i imagine that i imagine that steve buscemi was the firefighter connection there because steve buscemi was a firefighter and then went and volunteered during 9-11 he Um, was a firefighter yeah so Am I crazy in thinking this or does Adam Sandler make a cameo in this movie? I thought that he did when we were watching it. I was like, is that? But then I was like, that's not him. But now I, I feel like I got to look it up. I could, have sworn, look it up? I could have sworn that when they all the promotional stuff around this movie was happening that I saw Adam Sandler like had some kind of cameo. But then that's why I was I was really interested in this movie because I thought that it maybe had a bunch of, you know, comics of a certain generation and i would get to see them all pop up in it and and uh no i don't think he was in it but there was that moment where i was watching it and i was like that looks like him but it wasn't him um but i do think that like for pete davidson he was 
I think, a fan of Adam Sandler and maybe inspired. I could be making that up or that could be real. Fact check me because I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) So would you recommend this to somebody that's looking for like a feel good kind of story? Yeah, I think if somebody wants like a little something to watch that's a little bit of comedy, a little bit of like a, whoa, I see myself in that. And a little bit of, uh, oh, I'm glad that happened. Then I think it's, it's a good film to check out. It's got a lot of good comedy greats, like you said. So I'm, a lot of funny people. I'm really into that. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for sharing this Dang. beautiful movie with us. Any, any other recommendations? I know you watch, you watch The Hundred, which wrapped up this year. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that's almost over. That's sort of like my little guilty pleasure show that I'm like, mm, watch The Hundred tonight. But we also started watching Lovecraft Country, so that'll be oh. like a new show that we're going to watch through. I'm really hoping that as I'm going through all these recommendations, somebody's going to bring up Lovecraft Country because I am so into it. Um, yeah, we haven't watched the third episode. And we're behind an episode, but... Oh, wow. I don't know. Yeah. I can't say anything. I can't say anything, but I think you'll be pleased. It's, <laughs> it's interesting because I get confused, and we don't have to talk about this a long time, but I get confused um, at the end of like every episode where i'm like oh i thought that was gonna be like now the story is taking off but the story kind of self-concludes at each little episode and And i'm like yeah and then pivots and i'm like well what what thought he was gonna fly off (laughs) into heaven or whatever and i'm like okay guess i'll just have to tune in for the next episode yeah it almost like it makes it feel like it's monster of the week without it feeling that way that's what it feels like it feels like little mini episodes like little mini like an x-files instead of like yeah yeah instead of a stranger things where it's this constant monster and you're like what oh this one this one this one Ah." it is like x-files like case file of the week essentially you know but it's interesting so you should check that out too if you haven't seen that well, thank you, Lindsay. And uh, I'm, I always thank love you. your recommendations. So thank you. Thanks. Now we're up with John Holland, who, John, like you work in this industry and you're a great editor and filmmaker, but you don't admittedly watch a ton of, of TV or movies. I don't. It's this weird artist thing that I do where like I'll, I'll watch it for a little bit. Maybe I'll go like a month where I'll binge things. And then I just completely cut myself off for like the next five or six months because I don't want to... You ever like had an idea and then you realize, oh, that's because I saw this thing from like a little while back and you're like, fuck, well, then that idea is not as good anymore because it's not original. Like I do that uh, like quite a bit. So I, I need to stop because it's not <laughs> it's not healthy for me uh, career wise because like you guys will have conversations about movies and TV and I just get quiet because I was like, I don't yeah. have shit to say about it. I don't, I don't have a strong opinion. I don't even know this show existed that you're talking about. But um, I'm sort of that way with like, I'm that way with like Rooster Teeth stuff where I don't like watch a ton of like a ton of stuff across the company because it feels cannibalistic where I'm like, I'm like, no, I want to be like in my own new ideas and thinking about, I don't want to just be like rewatching all the stuff we're doing and th- our, our peers yeah. are, which makes me, I'm kind of a, I guess, asshole, <laughs> but I support everyone. I just, I just feel like I need to be outside of it too. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's why you take, I, you take pride in that creativity. Like when you have an original idea, you're just like, like that's probably the part that gives you the most, euphoric feeling yes it's just like well i just came up with something out of the blue that's like really original and new yeah and then if you do if you look for it at all online you'll be like shit (laughs) i didn't think of anything new 
Uh, yeah, I was. That's why, like, I never hear you talk about TV, which is why when we had you on the film house for the last dance, I because I was the first time that I'm kind of like, oh, I'm hearing John talk excitedly about something that's kind of in the television zeitgeist. We like we have mm. to get him on film house. Um, so your <laughs> your pick, your recommendation is a rewatch then. And yes, yes. Did you even mean to rewatch this movie? No, there. Um, so my rewatch is Blazing Saddles, directed by Mel Brooks, um, written by Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor and, and a couple other people in there. Um, it was just a I don't even remember what channel it was. I was just channel surfing and it was just like a Mel Brooks marathon, which freaked me out because I was like, did he die? Yeah. Because, you know, whenever they play like everybody's music or the movies, it means something terrible has maybe, happened. Maybe but they just they Carl just were Reiner? playing that. Maybe like Carl Reiner had just passed away and they were like, they're best friends. So we'll do Mel Brooks, too. It, that's possible. I didn't even think about that. It was just like it was Robin Hood Men in Tights and then it was um, History of the World and then part wait, part two is a part one. I, I always I always fuck up the title because there's not an, there's not another yeah. sequel to it. And then Blazing Saddles came on and I was like, oh, I, well, I got to watch that um, because of, of I, I'm not a huge fan of movies from the 70s or 80s because they move at a god awful pace. But Blazing Saddles to be like 1974, like it, it moves fast enough for me to just enjoy it to this day. It's funny that you mentioned Robin Hood Men in Tights because for me, my first kind of introduction to what Blazing Saddles was, was when I was really little and I saw Robin Hood Men in Tights for the first time. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. that at the end when Dave Chappelle becomes the sheriff and everyone's yep. like, what? And then he's like, they're like a black sheriff. And he's like, come on, like Blazing Saddles did it. And, you yeah. know, for me as like a little kid watching that, I'm like, I don't know what Blazing Saddles is. <laughs> uh, but then you, you got a little bit older and you're like, oh, OK. This is Mel Brooks, make you know, parodying, you know, pastiching himself, yeah. which is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it took me a long time because uh, I had also too, I had never heard of Blazing Saddles, and so when my dad finally sat me down to watch it, which I thought was amazing because it was filth, is what he called it. But he was like, mm-hmm. "You're gonna sit down and watch this filth with me, son." <laughs> and then I watched it, and I was like, "Oh, this is the reference to because I recognized immediately Mel Brooks and I recognized the style of comedy." I was like, "Oh, this is what Dave Chappelle was referring to in Robin Hood Men in Tights," and then it just connected all these dots. I was like, "That's that's great. That's brilliant." Yeah. So do you do you feel like watching it with your dad and stuff? Like, do you have like a history with this movie then? Yeah, I I do believe so because me me and my dad had a weird relationship when it came to like the things he would let me watch and listen to. Like I, I listened to all his he used to collect um, comedy cassettes back when they used to actually do comedy sets on on on, on comedy albums. I'm sorry, uh, he used to let me listen to them. And there was like Bill Cosby, there's Richard Pryor, there's Eddie Murphy. There's all these people who didn't talk clean at all yeah except for bill cosby but then if i tried to go watch something a little bit edgy on tv he wouldn't let me do it but then he was cool with me listening to these these really raunchy comedy albums and so i just for the longest time just avoided any type of watching um you know like rated r movies around him and then he was just like hey have you ever seen blazing saddles we're going to sit down we're going to watch it together and and i just remember laughing the entire time and this is like like 1996 or 1997 so i was still too young to understand some of the stuff, but a lot of things I, I understood because that's around the time where you start like learning what like sex is and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely don't think I understood a lot of it, especially like the the racial implications when I was really young of the jokes they were making. For me, it was sort of the sil- the sillier things like you know, oh now they're breaking the fourth wall and they're in a movie theater and Holly like yeah those for me when I was really young and saw it I was like oh this is silly and I this reminds me of other Mel Brooks movies I've seen like Robin Hood Men in Tights and I get it mm-hmm. 
But then you watch it as, as an adult and you're like, oh, like Mel Brooks is trying to say a lot with this movie. And I, whether yeah. he, I don't, and I don't know, I don't know that I'm the person to judge whether he accurately d- did that or not. Um, I think given the time, he he pretty much hit the nail on the head. Or at least I, I felt like that. Like when I watched it the first time, you know, there's the jokes, there's the slapstick, there's kind of like the lowbrow comedy. But then it was something about it because of somebody who grew up in the South. And, and maybe James might be able to relate to it as well. But like growing up in the South, the people of Rock Ridge, I was very familiar with. <laughs> like 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 those are real people who grew up in a town. Are those hilarious that all had the same last name? Um, they all grew up in the same town. Uh, all their lives, they've never interacted with anybody of of color, and so now they're like their whole world has been thrown upside down. Um, and I I knew a lot of people like that, where it's like, oh, in high school, this is your first time interacting with with like black people or, or or Asians or anything like that. So that was a very real thing for me, and I thought it was funny he made fun of it. And then yeah, as I got older and watched it more and more, I was like, oh okay, this is kind of like speaking on a broader sense, where you know we tend to as people like surround ourselves with familiar things. And it, it tends to be those familiar things that hurt us the most more than the new things. Like we tend to be afraid of of um of of the unknown, of things that we don't understand. So here comes this black sheriff into this town and they think all hell's gonna break loose and turns out he's actually has their best interest in mind and he yeah. saves them. And then yeah. acceptance comes. And uh, like all of a sudden, like, oh, he puts his pants on the same way I do, you know, one leg at a time, pays his taxes and goes to bed. We all do the same thing. Yeah. Well, and actually, especially when the intention is, oh, we'll we'll send this black sheriff to this town and then, you know, it'll be like a, a complete, uh, you know, mm-hmm. chaos. But it's like, oh, no, this guy is a hero. And also, like, Cleavon Little is just so good. Um, he's amazing. And I feel like I, d- I yeah. didn't I don't know that I've actually ever like seen him in much of anything else. That I like, I should look up his. I know he did some Broadway stuff. Um, I, I know he was a guy that Mel Brooks went to quite a bit. Well, the whole casting for that movie changed so many times. Like Richard Pryor was supposed to be Sheriff Bart, John oh, Wayne yeah. was supposed to be the Waco Kid. Uh, there was a few other things, um, like these last minute castings that that ended up changing. But but yeah, and it's funny because I always was like, I was always like, man, this guy looks so familiar. He looks so familiar. But I say the same things. He's like, but I don't know anything else I've seen him in. But I bet if I saw him, I'm like, hey, Cleveland, ah, yeah. there he is. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> like for me, also, like I also feel like Mel, like Mel Brooks in general, is great at casting women in really fun roles. Like Madeline mm. Kahn in this movie is so great. I mean, she's just always great in, in everything she was in. But you know. He, uh, for me, I always love Mel Brooks movies because he, even when he puts women in in roles where they're a little bit sexualized, they're still mm. in on the joke and they're still making the joke and they're still being incredible doing it. Um, like you know, Cloris Leachman and Madeline Kahn in uh, Young Frankenstein are both like mm. so good. And and he never just to me feels like he's just putting in women to be an accessory in his movies, um, mm. even if sometimes like the joke can maybe be a little bit like that. Um, but I, I do have like a huge soft spot for Mel Brooks too. Like I, I also could listen to him yeah. talk forever. I don't know like if you've ever just listened to him on podcasts or in interviews and stuff, but he's just like so charming to listen to as well. Yeah. I, I, last time I, I haven't watched a lot of interviews, even though he's one of my favorite directors, I haven't watched a lot of interviews with them. I know when, I don't know if it was when the producers went on, Broadway or they did the film about it but he did a, a big press run and I was listening to himself 
Uh, and he takes great joy in making fun of not just his his own culture and heritage, but just just everybody. He's like everybody can get it, and I think that was the one thing I liked about him was he was everybody gets these jokes no matter who you are. Yeah, and then I know there's always the messaging of like he couldn't make Blazing Saddles today, or and Mel Brooks no, couldn't make you his couldn't. movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm recommending you watch it today, but don't make it today. <laughs> sorry, my headphones came unplugged. Oh no, my head. Sorry, my headphone came unplugged for a second. <laughs> no, it's all good. I was like, I know I'm recommending everybody watch it today, but don't don't try and go make that today. That worked in 1974, and I I don't think it could work past that. Yeah, I also feel like uh, you have to have somebody like Richard Pryor and also in the creative mix too, who could get away like with making like a lot of that commentary and stuff. And like, I I always mm -hmm. Gene Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor are like one of my favorite comedic duos. Um, yeah. like see no evil, hear no evil. Uh, they're, they're just, they're so good together. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. Like the, you talking about comedy cassettes, my, my dad, pretty much like, I think every comedy cassette you mentioned, my dad's, I think still owns, but like on records and mm -hmm. you know, Billy Crystal too. And yeah, all those guys are like, were super foul, which is, <laughs> which is maybe not Bill Cosby's, which, you know, is a little bit of a. You know, that's a lot. He, he had he had one al al album called Adults Only, where like I mean, he still ain't go too far, but he's talking like an adult, and it's actually pretty cool. I only <laughs> ever think of his uh, like didn't he have like a parenting book, and I think Simpsons lampooned it, or maybe they just made oh, it up. Yeah, I mean, Bill Cosby's low, always low hanging fruit to make fun of. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, and he, he well, has a lot of he's he's obviously he's, he's in, uh, behind bars for for more severe things but i know he had weird relationships with a lot of the um a lot of the black comedians coming up in the 90s and it was all he's always taking on that dad role like chastising people for you know doing i guess their impression of like a richard Pryor style um but then meanwhile behind the scenes bill cosby's doing all this other stuff so he if you if you like go watch like a lot of interviews with like the comedians who came up and I was like, yeah, like Bill Cosby would just call me and just tell me to stop cussing. Or he would like like, you know, I was on set with him and he was just wagging his finger at me a lot. He's like, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to touch Bill Cosby I, in, in metaphorically and uh, literally. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, are there back any, to the Wild West. Yeah, back, back to the, the frontier. Yeah, I like and like you're saying, like for you from being from North Carolina, being from Toronto, I to me like this was like, oh, this is you know frontier times. Uh, mm. I don't American West, but then as I've especially since I've been living in America, I'm like, oh, you know, oh damn, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the idea came from a place because Hollywood has a history of like really rewriting history and whitewashing <laughs> it too yeah yeah like a lot of people probably didn't even know like 25 percent of cowboys back during that time were black you know because you never see them in the movies um and so it, it was like it originally just start with that idea of just like let's let's go the extreme of whitewashing hollywood um or just whitewashing history and then from there like all these other components kind of came in and it was just like the right time to do it yeah it i mean and and Canada's definitely not, you know, innocent of that it's stuff like the Canadian National Railroad, where you look at the pictures mm -hmm. and it's all like a bunch of old white dudes spiking in the spikes and posing. But the road, the railroad itself was built by, you know, Chinese labor and stuff. But nobody mm -hmm. really talks about that. Um, so, yeah. Not yeah. 
Some I, I, I always get that conversation because it's like, man, that's some heavy that's some heavy things to put on like an eight year old when you try to teach them American history or yeah. even Canadian history. But at some point it's like, but you got to kind of tell them because then we tend to grow up and they were 40 years old and just now learning there's 25 percent black cowboys out there. Yeah. Like right after, right after the Civil War. And it's like, wow, I never knew that. So then I don't know uh, uh, the way they teach history. I, I get it. But I think there's a better way we can go about doing it. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because it's like it's like yeah, people don't want their kids to watch Blazing Saddles, but it's like it might be a little eye opening to your kid in some ways if mm-hmm. they did watch Blazing Saddles. Um, yep, I think I think every fourth grade class should watch Blazing Saddles. <laughs> 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 That's the perfect time to put it on. I'm like they're gonna learn it at some point, so I might as well. <laughs> I think I think like especially in you know quarantine education, like like you know Zoom education. If you were if so, you were brought in as a guest teacher. And like said, okay, kids are watching Blazing Saddles today. I would, I would say, okay, but hire oh, this yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna screw those kids up. We're gonna watch, <laughs> we're gonna watch Blazing Saddles on Monday, and then we're gonna, we're gonna end the week heavy with like Amistad. Like we're just going, we're gonna go down the entire. Just, I just want you guys to really know everything in your history book is a little bit different from what actually happened. But then, like the next Monday, we'll watch cartoons. We'll watch Back to the Future. We'll bring it back up. Yeah. Yeah, Monday is uh, bring it back up day, and then by Friday, those yeah, kids, yeah, their yeah. spirits are broken. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to think about it this weekend. That's all. I just want you to really think about it all weekend. <laughs> um, we we went kind of long, but I, I just wanted to ask: or do you have like any highlight moments from Blazing Saddles that to you are like, oh, these are the standout, my favorite moments? Um, my. I think my favorite one is always going to be when they ask them to sing them a song on the railroad. And then they, they start, start singing, singing like a Sinatra. beautiful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get no kick from champagne. I, I always love that part because yeah. it's actually like a really, really good harmony that they put together. Um, and so that's that's always my favorite part. Like anytime I hear Sinatra, anytime I hear the word champagne, I just immediately go, I get no kick from champagne. And I love it. Yeah. It's the standout part. And I mean, uh, and it's also like a great moment where the you know the railroad the like white railroad workers like look just like complete you know idiot ignoramuses yeah. as well um yeah that that set the tone for the movie for me when they busted that out i was like oh okay i'm really gonna like this movie because that happens pretty early yeah yeah i think it's like right at the beginning ish mm-hmm. yeah but i love that for me for me it's still like this I, I i maybe it's just because of like harkening back to when i'm a kid the super silly, silly stuff like they're in grauman's and you know it breaks the fourth wall, and they're mm-hmm. they're watching the movie. Like I, I was, I was just rolling. <laughs> yeah, I was like, stick out your hands, put out your tush. What is uh, how's this song go? I don't, I don't remember. I don't. Remember. Yeah, it, the movie goes super left field, but it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mel Brooks is a treasure. Well, thanks for talking about it. It's oh, fun. no problem. Anytime, anytime. So Omar, I was so happy that you came to me with the recommendation that you did. Because nobody, I was shocked, like, I interviewed five or six people and nobody brought up this one. And I've been dying to talk about it with somebody. So thank you. I mean, I'm it's, so, yeah, it's like brand new. It's it's the new hotness. Why is nobody wanting to talk yeah, about it? Yeah, I love, everybody loves Raymond. I, it's, like, <laughs> it just came to... Seinfeld, <laughs> Seinfeld, Seinfeld. Yeah, we're talking about Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country on HBO Max. Sweet, mm-hmm. sweet HBO Max. Or yeah. I guess HBO in general on who knows, whatever. I don't understand how that stuff works. <laughs> and I don't know kind of like what kind of handle you have on this show yet, because it's weird when I go to dis- I'm thinking of how to describe it. I'm kind of like, I don't even know where this show is going. 
I thought I did, but now yeah. I'm not sure. So I was going to actually talk to you about it. So first off, Lovecraft Country on HBO. It's it's a horror show. Mm-hmm. It's episodic. There's a narrative, but it doesn't seem like there's a through line through all of the narrative. It kind of seems to jump around and there's individual stories. Have you dug into the like what the book is and stuff at all yet? No. And I earlier this year, because I saw the series was coming, I'm, I considered getting the book and reading it. But then I thought, no, I'll, I, I'll just keep this one a show that I watch. So I, I haven't and I don't know if the book is is, you know, just the adventures of these people or if it's. So, one, you know, I'd, 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 I'm not going to read the book until I watch all the show because I feel like I'm invested in the show at this point. But I did do a little bit of research to see why the episodes feel the way they do. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the show feels like it's in fast forward, it right? Feels like, like it's like monster there was so the much week. happening. Yeah. 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 Every week is like that's the entire series could have been this one story. Like what the hell is going on? Uh, like I episode thought. one ended and then episode two was like, oh, okay, now we're establishing, here's the big bad. Here's like what's going on in this show. Here's this place that they're going to be stuck in, Artem, all this stuff. And it's just like, nope, all that is done and we're moving on to the next thing. So the book is actually broken up that way. Oh. Like there are, there are a bunch of stories like and an there's anthology. a connective tissue that, yeah, it's not really an anthology because there is like, it's the same characters. It's not like jumping around in time or anything. But the the interconnective tissue between the different stories is not the point, as well from what I can tell. It's like these individual episodes in the story. That's kind of so cool. like, yeah, like episodes one and two seem like they were part of that first chunk of the book. Episode three definitely felt like the next one of the stories listed on the Wikipedia page for the book. Um, I think it's awesome. I think like. Like just tonally, the show I think is really cool, and obviously there's a there's a very specific thing happening. You know, like there's a tone in you know with racism and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like, and they're using their platform in an amazing way to really put that in front of everybody. Yeah, especially to make a show called Lovecraft Country that has a you know predominantly black cast and like really stick it to them. <laughs> like yeah. to, to Lovecraft, who is a pretty notable racist, is is yeah, uh, totally kind of a cool thematic thing. <laughs> that I'm into. I, yeah. And like, you know, no, no punches pulled in the way that they're portraying that stuff. And like, who's the real bad guy? Is it these weird myst, myst, mystical monsters or whatever? Yeah. But no, it's like, it's just, it's just shitty people. Absolutely. Shitty people are the bad guy of this story. And there's definitely, you know, the climactic scenes of the first episode where there are monsters coming out. Sorry, spoiler, but uh, there are, mo- <laughs> the show is monsters. Um, there are monsters. Yeah. That, that reveal themselves, but then you're really more scared of the bigoted uh, white people on the show, <laughs> which... I mean, yeah, like, legitimately, the shitty people are the monsters of this story. And, like, these people, like, the, the main characters, Tick, and I'm forgetting names. I'm terrible with names, so I'm forgetting names. Oh, yeah, let me tell you. It's, Tick, because um, it's such a weird one. Tick, uh, Letitia, right? Yeah, Letty, one? they call her for short. Um, and then Montrose is Michael K. Williams. Montrose. Is, is yeah. plays his dad. Um um, and then, yeah, the, the uncle and stuff too, George, uncle George, right? uncle George. Yeah. Love me. Uncle George. RIP. Yeah. Um, but like they're, they're having to deal with these mystical things happening around them, but really the focus of their attention is shitty people. And it's like, we're having like, not only are they like, they're, they're handling bullshit with ghosts and stuff 
like nothing is going on. And then they, on top of that, they have this, like, now we have to go deal with all the white people in this neighborhood who want us to not be in this house or whatever. Yeah. So wild. And like, uh, just so, I feel like this, the, the narrative of it is just so well presented in that way. For sure. And like you were talking about earlier, like the show feels like it's going a hundred miles per hour and it's only three episodes into the season I couldn't believe that the second episode, without spoiling too much, it, it felt like it was an expensive episode um, to mm-hmm. make. And I couldn't believe that they got there so fast because you also yeah. expect that in a show like this, the first couple episodes are going to have kind of these major set pieces. They're going to have major effect work or these these big story uh, pieces. And then, and then, you know, there will be a little bit of a break <laughs> and then it'll build up to that. But like, no, it just seems to be going to 11 in every episode and i i'm so here for it i i was going to ask you you know kind of what made you watch this series and i like for me i i don't even know what made me watch it beyond like a perfect storm of factors the fact that it's it's lovecraft and jordan peele's the producer on it and it's also just feels like it's a new story if he doesn't feel like yeah. we're rehashing you know old characters and, and you know jj abrams and stuff there too like like it seems like it has a lot of pedigree in all the people making it and obviously like hbo is that's you know that's eventized viewing like every time a new series or something is coming from hbo yeah. uh it's worth checking out at least right like because you never know like perry mason was just recently and that shit was awesome too like it's you know it's what we expect from quality television programming creation for sure and and some of the cast behind it um like Jonathan Majors and Journey Smollett specifically I had not really seen in much before this but like holy shit they're so good like her they're especially they're so good all of them are so good yeah she's she's amazing and like I don't know if it was I if whatever it was really striking to me she like she like hit this weird pose in episode three when like shit was going down it was just like oh she's like a caged cat right now like she's ready to explode in a direction it just like that whole like i don't know it just it felt so genuine in the way that they were reacting to the situation and her like body language and all that stuff too yeah she's her in- sister is super rad too like her sister's oh, yeah. a side character but like yeah she's awesome um where is this I, show going I love omar this sh- <laughs> yeah yeah like is it more than a season you think because the book, it seems like they're going to hit all of the book in this season. If they if they continue on this pace, they will hit the entirety of the book in this season. Which doesn't mean there can't be a season two or whatever, but they're definitely working from a source material. If it's you know what, if it's the sort of thing where this it's just this season and we get a really really well delivered adaptation of this book, and then we get to see, I the, fucking love that. I would love that. Yeah, and then I'm fine, totally fine with that. And then these actors and the creative team behind it go on to the next thing, and then I get to follow them to the next thing. Like I'm, I'm totally into that. But I'm I'm curious just where yeah. the fuck the story's going, because like you yeah, said, because like I don't know. Uh, like the connective tissue stuff, like the stuff with the who i would have assumed was the big bad in episode two Mm -hmm. like his daughter right and like the continuing story of that like son of adam stuff like that that's the connective tissue and that's really interesting but like the monster of the week stuff was really cool too 
especially yeah. in episode three, because you really got a flavor oh. of what the monster of the week part of it is going to be. And it pivoted hard to where you thought the story was going to be, because what they set up in the first episode is like, well, they're going across the country to find his dad who's mysteriously disappeared. And you think yeah. like that's going to be the thrust of the entire that's, show. Yeah, that's the story. <laughs> but but now I mean, then, yeah. And then episode two, yeah. you now get I'm like, even, oh, here's this real crazy old man who's yeah. going to be the bad guy of this series. And nope, he's gone. No, I'm, I'm, I'm even more into it now. Then, because I'm kind of like, yeah. what are they going to do for episode four? And I didn't, I didn't watch the coming up next week on. I, I'm not going to anymore. I, I did between two and three because of what happened at the end of two, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh shit. And I watched the the one for three, and it was just like, uh, okay, this didn't really, it didn't really answer any of my questions, which was good, I guess, because it still keeps me in, invested. But I'm, I'm definitely not going to anymore. I want to be like, I just, I want to be along for the ride week to week same and what for the way that they're setting up what makes me really frustrated is that i feel like the early reviews i saw for this show or some of some of them seemed mixed like you know the the mm -hmm. preview reviews and uh i don't know what they were talking about i have no no idea i guess yeah i i mean i didn't read any of them but i was like talking to ian and stuff like it seems like there there was a lot of people mixed on like maybe the production value of it and and questioning how it was put together in the time the times that we're in and stuff like that. Oh. To me, I haven't really noticed anything. Like there was some weird maybe there was like a little lower lower pay like lower cost graphics work that happened in episode three than versus one and two, but like it didn't take me out of the story at all. I haven't really noticed anything production-wise. It seems like, oh, this is a product of COVID times or yeah. whatever. I just try to go back um, and watch The Frighteners every three months to keep perspective. And then I go, okay. <laughs> keep perspective. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'm really glad that we have this show, especially right now. It's a thing to look forward to every yeah. week. It is a thing to look forward to. And then, like, again, using a platform, a lot of people are probably watching the show. It is a giant, giant production thing. And them taking advantage of, like, this is the reality of what the time was like, mm -hmm. you know, like there's no hiding that fact in this stuff and it's getting in front of people who need to hear and see that kind of stuff, I think, which is awesome. Yeah. It's also good really, on them. Really refreshing and unique, like to, to be hearing this story uh, and the way it's told yeah. and, and, uh, I'm, I'm like all here for it. Well, thanks Again, for talking. All of the characters, all of the people are so good in it. So good. Agreed. Thanks for talking about it, Omar. Yeah, thank you maybe for asking me to maybe, talk about it. <laughs> maybe when the show were like wraps, we should just do a, a film house on. I, I feel like we should. Yeah. Country. yeah, I feel like we should. It's you know, it's it's of a caliber that re that would warrant something like that. AT and T presents RTX this year. Thanks to AT and T five G, we are able to bring an awesome RTX straight to you in the comfort of your own home. AT and T's five G network is fast, reliable, secure, and now available nationwide. Whether you're at home or on the go, you'll enjoy coverage in more places. Plus, AT&T doesn't make it complicated. 5G access is included in all consumer unlimited plans at no extra cost. So join us for RTX at home for virtual panels from your favorite shows and podcasts, a whole bunch of exclusive merch drops and more, all without putting on real pants. And all thanks to AT&T clearly hate pants for more information on at&t 5g visit att.com slash 5g next up i'm talking with john smith who has a german science fiction thriller that he's been watching you know it elise it's called dark and it's german incestuous and sad
Sounds like the perfect summer watch. <laughs> I, I've actually I'm, I've watched some of Dark as well. I've seen the first full season and then mm-hmm. I've, I'm midway through the second season. But man, this is a verbose and dense show. Very dense. Very verb. Yes. Well, um, verbose, maybe not the right word. I mean, I guess verbose and it's verbs. It's complex. You know, who knows what verbs are? I think it's more of an adjective because it is so cool. And uh, here's the thing. I wrote out a list of pros and cons because there are some cons. Throw it out. All right. Pros. As I said before, everyone is German, incestuous and sad. That was my top one. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a beautiful story told over three seasons. And yes, that's right. There are only three seasons. Series finale. Um, It ended where it should have, even though I haven't finished it. I'm just. Well, it's you're, not one of those shows that goes on and yeah, on and on and on. Goes past its expe- its expiration point. Yeah, they had a really like, clear vision. They, yeah, they had a clear vision and they executed on it. Um, another thing is that it's a story that kind of starts out very simple, even though it it does start out with like kind of a sci-fi mystery. It slowly, the scope of the show and the story slowly expands. And I feel like they did a good job of the pacing in which they expanded the show. Um, great twists and turns. Those are my pros. Because if I remember, seen, oh, well, the way the show starts is there, there's a boy that goes missing in this small German town. Yeah, that's the basic beginning of it. And that's that's something that I feel like even I experienced was in the beginning. I was like, you know, this is interesting what's going on, but you know, there's not much to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually watched the first season shortly after it came out, but I stopped at episode nine, which is the episode before the season finale. And let me tell you, I came back to it a year later after season two came out. And the finale of season one is where shit blows up. Yeah. So it was like, I would like for the first whole, my first viewings episodes one through nine, I was like, yeah, this is a pretty straightforward sci-fi show with some nice kind of twists and drama. But then when I came back to it a year later and I started on episode 10, I was like, and I just plowed through season two after that. Yeah. The show starts to ask some really heady, uh, you know, science fiction questions. Philosophical. Once, yeah. And yeah. Like exist. Ex- it's very existential and, um, yeah, deals with a lot of heavy concepts, uh, just in terms of science and ex- like the universe and everything. No spoilers. Um, Oh, speaking of no spoilers, at least this might be something that you've experienced before. I literally just tweeted about it. Um, <laughs> Which is in most, if not all, fan wikis, if you go to a character's page, if you're like, huh, wait, how old is this character again? Or what did they do in the first season that I don't really remember? You go to their wiki page, and it's part of the fan wiki. It, there's a pic- at, at the top of the page, there's a picture of them, there's their name, and then their status that either says alive or dead, which is... <laughs> The stupidest thing that sh- it should not exist on a fan wiki. No, like I've never, I've never finished a show and then gone. Oh, let me go to the are wiki they alive? And read about these characters. Yeah, 
Yeah, you've never like, asked, are they? And it's it's weird how like those are the three things that you need to know about this person. Yeah, right off the bat. Yeah, like that happened to me. The first time that happened to me was with Wheel of Time. There was a character um, that I that I was like, how old are all these characters? I don't I don't really know. And then I went to look her up. One of the main characters. I was on like book seven of twelve or whatever, and it said she died. She's dead. Status dead. And I was like what the hell? And then I was like, well, how'd she die? And then I read the Wikipedia page oh, and, and, I and I stopped reading the books because it was like, I know that this main character is going to die. Oh, you're referring to the character's status as alive or dead. I thought you were talking about the actor's status. Like it says, oh, you know, no, 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 no. The character, like it oh, literally that's terrible. spoils the show. Yeah. Um. So just if you're, cause I've been, looking up the wiki mm -hmm. and um you know it's i previously i was looking it up in season two um and that status thing didn't really matter but you know yeah near the end of the show a lot of shit can go down and this and this so this past season being like wait how does this character tie in look it up boom and it's like shit uh so just for anyone who's going to watch the show or any show in general Try to avoid going to the fan wiki because that's some stupid BS that exists on all fan wikis for some stupid ass reason. And I am, think um, especially with Dark, you're going to be in a position where you might find yourself needing to go check those character wikis because yeah. this show is so dense with characters. There are so many and not to, to give too much away or spoil any, anything, but you're you're seeing characters at different points in time. Yeah, and it does. Yeah, it does kind of tell the story of this of this mm -hmm. town over the course of a long time. And it's really tough um, to keep track of actors and who they are. That was the only con I wrote down. Very similar to Game of Thrones. How you know, I always saw those memes about they'd show they'd have a picture of the cast. And it's like, these are the names my wife has for all these characters <laughs> um, who hasn't read the books. And it's just like Beardy King and <laughs> yeah. Gay Prince. Um but yeah, it, it has a huge cast and it's it's oftentimes murky how people play into the story and just who some characters are, because there is like a core cast. But then there's some like supporting characters that come and go. And like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like any show a year later, you I watched season two last year. Season three just dropped in 2020. It's like, who the hell is that? Yeah. Like season four or episode four. It's like, I haven't seen them for the past four episodes. Now they're back. For sure. And it's, heck? it's also just an artfully written show. That's not like the show is just telling you straight out. Yeah. Here's who these people yeah. are. You know, it's written in such a way that you need to infer certain things or you have to kind of unpack the story in certain ways. Mm -hmm. So that makes it even more complicated. And I wish going back, because I, I did really enjoy watching it when I watched it. But I do kind of think this is a show that you it, it's made for binging in that respect, because yeah. Watching these three seasons back to back, I imagine, is much easier than watching it and and then waiting a year mm -hmm. and then waiting a year. It's on Netflix, which, by the yeah. way, I don't think we mentioned. Yeah. Well, and that's also why I decided to choose this show, because, you know, it is something I have talked about before. Uh, often, I'm a huge fan of the show, uh, but season three is is now out and the entire series is now out. So for anyone who is looking for something to binge, there's 28 episodes. Each one is about an hour long. Uh, and it tells this story that just gets better and better, I'd say. Like, 
season one was very grounded even though it was sci-fi mm-hmm. it was very it grounded. felt and like one of those sort of small town nordic off. mysteries where it's like there's mm-hmm. been a murder and so we've brought in like the but then it it blows your expectations because i thought it was going to feel like yeah. a, broad, a broad church a little bit uh, uh-huh. but then no it, it is kind of like twin peaks where there's a lot of in like interpersonal drama that they're also covering um, outside of the yeah, mystery family a family out. story like it's it's yeah a story about like a family saga really too yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think it's a, a great pick and especially now watching all of it uh well thanks john thanks for sharing that with for everyone. sure uh one last thing because mm-hmm. i i know people say you know give it time and it's and it and a lot of people don't like when you say oh it gets great in season two um, I'm not saying that. I'm saying season one is great, but if you're feeling like it's a little slow, you know, if it's not really your vibe, bear through season one because it definitely season one is definitely uh slower paced than the rest of the show, but it's still great and yeah, give it a chance. And read subtitles, don't do the dubbed. You sons of bitches. <laughs> Adam, you always have really great taste in movies and TV. What have you been rewatching or watching I, recently? I, I I think the problem right now is there's everything to watch. And so Jess and I keep starting things and not finishing. <laughs> we do that. It, it will be the name of my memoirs when <laughs> it all comes down. But no, uh, the other day we actually put on the movie Drive and I just wanted to rewatch the beginning and that movie I feel like sucked me in and I started just rewatch. I don't know if it's Ryan Gosling's uh, subdued acting. Maybe, maybe he's not even acting. He, I don't know. Sometimes he looks lost. Like he doesn't <laughs> know where he is, but it's just an easy movie to look at. I don't know. What if that made you want to watch the beginning? I, I think it has such a strong opening for a sort of like a, a quiet heist movie. It, it, it grabs you. It pulls you in. It's, very light on the dialogue. It's a cool action scene, but it's not your typical whiz bang crash. It's a lot of, there's so much tense moments in just that first five minutes. And then the music, I think it opens up with Kavinsky. Uh, oh, Night, Night Call. Call. Yeah. And I, I felt like, I think that also kicked off a whole thing for me 10 years ago. Um, and it sort of, you know, gave birth to this like synth wave revolution that we're living in. And yeah, it, even like, I that's feel most cool of the music I listen to. listening to Kavinsky while I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> like I should. Yeah, no, it it is that that, that was a weird thing that it, it it it's music that's cooler than you, but it yeah. makes you feel cool. I don't even remember what the opening scene is. That the only scene that's really stand out clear in my memory is the slow mo one where he's wearing the mask and he kind of looks through the porthole in the door window and then bust through and like does his thing so what what's weird was i watched the netflix version and i i could be wrong i may have just blanked out but the scene where they show ryan gosling putting on they they explain you know it's it's chekhov's uh weird man mask (laughs) he he's wearing it in the i remember he's wearing in the beginning of the movie he's doing like a stunt and then they're like you okay and he gives him the thumbs up i i could be crazy but i think they removed that scene from the netflix version and so just halfway through the movie, he shows up with the mask at the Italian restaurant staring <laughs> into the window. And I, I I couldn't, I'm not sure if I, yeah, if I just, I got up and I, I forgot about it, but I 
didn't remember seeing that scene in the movie. So it made that that reveal more random. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe the Netflix one. I, that's weird. I feel like they wouldn't edit that down for time. Yeah. I have a question for you. Has yeah. enough time passed that it's now come full circle and it's cool again to wear a drive costume for Halloween? The jacket with the scorpion. I'm going to go ahead and say no. <laughs> I, 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 think, I still think the cooler outfit is dressing up as Scorpion from Mortal Kombat with Ryan Gosling on a jacket. That is, <laughs> it, it's been done. It's not Wait, clever anymore. Has someone actually so done that? I, the fact that I said it, it means it exists. That, Someone's that going to do it now. It, it has to. I, I swear, I must have seen it on Threadless or something, but no, I, I don't think that's a cool outfit. I, I don't think <laughs> Ryan Gosling's very cool in that movie. I know he's supposed to be, but when somebody said that, oh no, he's supposed to have Asperger's, the movie makes a lot more sense oh. that he's just, he's socially awkward. He's not cool. He's just, he's stunned. He's emotionally stunned. He doesn't know how to respond to anybody. And he's so, and he's just lucky that he's handsome. Yeah. So when he's just I, standing there staring at the hallway, he's thinking about Hot Pockets. I but. will never be like, I think Ryan Gosling is a great actor and he seems like he's the nicest dude, but I will never be able to not think of him as a nerd because my first experience with him, as you know, was on the Canadian TV show Breaker High about a bunch of students that went to high school on a cruise ship. And he played the We've really, really he played yeah. this really, really nerdy kid named Sean, who was sort of like the annoying kid that everybody he couldn't get the girl. He was kind of the scrawny guy. He dressed weird, wore bucket hats and like he I'll never escape that. And so I remember when he kind of got his big break in America and women were like oozing themselves over him. They're like, Ryan Gosling. I was like, I just can't just can't do it. But I do think he seems yeah. like a nice dude. I'm, I'm sure I, I've, I think he's, he's earned a place in everyone's heart in, in, you know, picking kind of weird roles like in Blade Runner and, uh, was it the place beyond the pines or whatever it was called? Uh, Yeah. He, uh, he crazy, stupid love, I think was another one. Like he, he's actually a lot of, he he bars in the real girl. Yeah. He picks a lot of strange roles, but he's still very accessible. And, uh, I think, he is sort of the glue that keeps drive going. Cause I've watched a lot of other Nicholas winding Reffin movies and they're all fairly they're, they're They all are somewhere between watchable and just kind of meh. Artsy like Valhalla slot. rising has moments and you know, only God forgives God only forgives one of those, but that, that uh, it's like what a directionless person looks like. And like, I want to like his movies. There's always like parts that I like, but then I, I just, I haven't found a movie of his that's as good as drive. Yeah, now it's making me want to rewatch it, and I probably haven't seen it since it came out. Um, it's a it, it's a fantastic film. I think it it moves really well, and I also have a weird soft spot for movies that take place in L.A. and don't make it look like the opening of Predator Two, <laughs> where it, it it's just everything's yellow and on fire, uh, <laughs> like it, it is. It kind of, I mean, sometimes, but <laughs> like I think Michael Mann has a really good eye for shooting LA. And I, a lot of that came through, I think when he uh, one when he did heat and then also when he did collateral and drive, I think takes inspiration from those types of movies where it, there's something about shooting it with a digital lens or a digital, you know, digital camera. You can, you can capture a certain light that it's like you, you only know it when you, you see the LA night sky, there's something really unique about it. And it, it always like feels like its own weird, unique character and drive 
has that feeling. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe, but no, I know, it, it, I know what you mean because Drive to me felt like an yeah. exercise in tone, where you're oh, just like, I'm just going to make a movie, and it's just going to feel like it has a vibe for all mm-hmm. of it, and I yeah. don't remember and the it, plot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not much of a plot. It's also it's adapted from a book which I've never read, but it it has all like Brian Cranston is in it, like right around the time people were figuring out Breaking Bad was a really good show. And wait, who did he play? he's his boss he he's like i just took this kid in and oh. he's he's down on his luck and then um al uh al was it uh a brooks al no oh, albert brooks uh, albert brooks yeah he's actually albert einstein but changed his name because he's bob true? he's bob yeah he's bob einstein's brother albert brooks their brother oh i mean they God, were their brothers yeah but then i guess albert brooks was like oh, i'm albert einstein so i there, there's a subplot in drive two where Albert Brooks and Ron Perlman are like really crappy gangsters, but they're in their sixties and they're just talking about how they never got a piece of this. And they're like, <laughs> like, Oh, we're just going to, it's like, you guys are five years away from retirement and they're making these plays. They're going to upset everyone up in the city. And it, I just, I like it because everyone in the movie is so pathetic. Yeah. And, and Ryan Gosling's just sort of, he's like, I'm the cool guy, except I have a social disorder. Um, but it makes me look cool. And then also Oscar Isaac, I think was, that was like his first, one of his first big roles. I forgot that all these people are in this movie. I need, I need to go you, rewatch it. It's, it's the Black Hawk down of the odds, <laughs> except Black Hawk down came out during the odds. But yeah, you go back and like it, almost everyone in the movie is somebody or went on to do something. It's a, it's a really well-rounded cast. It's the empire records of the odds is what you're looking for. That's another reference, yes. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking me down this walk uh, on Memory Lane, because now I want to watch Drive. I'll see you at the drive-in. What's the name of the show? Filmhouse. So there were lots of hot, hot recommendations in there. A few hot takes, but I think that everybody had some really, really good picks. Let us know in the comments what you liked that was recommended, and if you have any other suggestions as well for what our community should be watching and also if you really like this type of episode let us know too let us know if you like us to do more sort of in this style in this framing because i had a good time talking with everybody and enjoyed talking about the shows that i'm excited about and the movies that i love so uh i would love to do this again thank you for watching see you next time (laughs) 